What I want to talk about tonight is, is something that you probably maybe have never heard preached, and especially probably not the way that I'm going to preach it, and especially not to the truth that I'm going to speak to it. So if it uh, makes you angry, don't send me letters. Just spit out the seeds and, uh, and just forgive me in advance. Um, <clears throat> I'm not here to impress anybody. I don't have a job to lose. Um, but what I am passionate about is I'm passionate about us to change the world. Like, honestly, like that's my DNA is I want to be developing a culture of people who want to change the world. And, and I just think like I read the New Testament and I see... Man, when Jesus encountered these 12 guys, that everything changed, and certainly when we receive Jesus, we should have nothing less than a world-impacting change around us. And so I've been like racking my brain over this uh, past spring of like, what, what are the things that make us change? What were the attributes? What were the truths? What were the things that the disciples got that we are missing? And so tonight, I'm going to talk on a message that I wish I would have received the moment I received salvation. And it would have changed my entire life. It would have stopped me from all this striving. And so what I want you guys to know is, is I'm gonna, it's just my style to cover a lot of scriptures because I, I see the scriptures three-dimensionally. So don't get caught up in like, oh, what verse is that? I'll email anybody all of my speaking notes, even any jokes I have written in here, you can see them. So I don't have many of those. Um, but I just, I need you guys to hear with your heart and listen with your mind and just be able to hear it out. And if you want other scriptures and references, I'll send it to you. So what I'm going to talk about tonight is something that every Christian wants, but doesn't know how to get it, and that is to be holy. It seems like after salvation, the number one thought is, oh man, there's all these scripture references, I, I, gotta, I gotta be holy, like what is this be holy thing? They, like, I know I should be holy, but I'm not, and, and, and everybody feels that, that it's something that should be part of life, they should be growing in it, but I've asked Christians to say, do you feel holy? And I have yet to have one person that's like, yeah, I feel holy. Like, not a one. I don't know if there's anybody in here. I'm not going to embarrass you. But it seems that, that continually this is something. And as I read the scriptures, I'm like, holy cow, we have this wrong. And when I think about the word holy, something the first thing that comes to my mind is like, that is like the most common description used about God. It's he's holy. You know, we've, we've taken it for granted. It seems like that's the only word in the vocabulary of heaven. It's just holy, holy, holy. There are creatures with six wings with eyes all over their heads. And all they say is holy, holy, holy. I mean, how can you compete with it? That's pretty awesome. And so it's like, wow, this holy thing must really mean something incredible. And, and we sing songs and they have holy in it. And, and for me to be holy, it always like someone describing like a gym membership. Besides buying cars, I hate gym membership salespeople. You know? It's like, really? Like, watch, we're going to do the price. Boom, no enrollment fee. You know, like they, they take you through this whole thing. But what at the end of it is, you know what they do? It's like, so what are your fitness goals? I'm like, look at me. Do you, do you, really, do you need some fitness goals for me to tell you? You know, it's like, I, like, I get bigger, stronger? I don't know, something. But it seems like in Christianity, when we talk about holiness, it's like, what are your holiness goals? You know, you get, you get this... You get this spiel almost like a, a gym membership. Do you want to pray more? Do you want to stop cursing? Do you have that lust issue? We come up with this whole like, what is your bodybuilder menu that you want to have with Jesus? And we're going to work towards that. We're going to call that holiness. And, but the same thing always happens just like it is in the gym, which I have very little knowledge about, as it is with the faith, as you can tell, is, is that the, the, the next sentence is always the same. It's like, well, you got to be committed. You got to work hard at it consistently. You can't expect instant results. It's a gradual development, right? We hear all those things. And that's the, the same thing in the Christian walk as we're told. 
And then the fine print, you know, every contract has like fine print, like you cannot get out of this contract ever. The fine print in the faith, in the scriptures, is this pesky little scripture that says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There have been entire movements in pursuit of holiness, people being in perfection. And not one movement, not one sermon, not one teacher has ever succeeded in making any person holy. Every Christian wants holiness but doesn't know how to get it. So tonight I'm going to teach on it. And it's going to be different. And I'm going to uh, tap, uh, tip my hat to a guy named Paul Ellis who really helped bring a couple clear things to mind in this. But I'm going to give you five things. And the first one is this as I've kind of prepped you for, is that Christians misunderstand what holiness is. Christians, every, I think everyone in this room, including me up until just recently, I totally misunderstood holiness. And it's really hard to experience something that you completely misunderstand. You have a desire, but if you have a misunderstanding about it, you have no ability to know when that desire is satisfied. If you have a misunderstanding about holiness, you actually have no capacity to know if you're holy or not. It's kind of how people misunderstand love. Anybody know that? That's like, they totally have missed the whole, you know, idea of, of love. They, they've watched too many Sandra Bullock movies, you know? <clears throat> like, but he's like, supposed to not like me and then becoming like me and then he's going to like chase me on a train and like, we're all going to kiss and get married and run away and he's going to leave that girl and, and that's what they think about love or, or maybe it's like the, the doves flying down and sitting on the guy's shoulder and the sunbeam that comes out on him and says, this is the one I have for you. I mean... I know people who have completely missed the idea and the concept of, and have, have been smack dab in the middle of it many times, but cease to understand it. But the Bible commands holiness. 1 Peter 1.15 says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all, of you do, in all you do. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. But we don't know what it means again. It seems that the number one thing when holy is mentioned is in reference to God, so we think, well, holiness means to act like God. So that's the best thing we can come up with. It's like, well, holiness, you need to act like God, and right there, we have failed. The minute that we think that holiness is acting like God, we fail because when we define what holiness is based on what God does, it ignores who God is. And there's a very, there's a very significant example there, a few, few examples. Most people think that holiness is the avoidance of sin. Like the simplest way, holiness is the avoidance of sin. But this definition is informed by the old covenant of the do's and the don'ts. In the old covenant, you have uh, to stay undefiled. You'd have like avoid untrimmed beards and bacon and lepers. You know, it was like kind of this whole do's and don'ts. And, and we have our modern day taboos of like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And we think that kind of moves us towards holiness. But defining holiness as the avoidance of sin is kind of like defining light as the absence of darkness, defining wet as the not dry. You know, it doesn't really make sense. Technically, it's true, but it's a really poor definition. It's defining things in terms of what something isn't. It's defining things in other terms, and it doesn't tell us anything about what holiness is, and neither does it describe a God who's holy long before sin even existed. So that's not gonna work. We can't define holiness based upon avoidance of sin because if God is holy, I mean, he's, he's holy before there was sin. It doesn't make sense, so... Then others say, well, it's being set apart from the world. It means to be set apart and, okay, I get that. And it's being in the world but separate from the world because the world's evil. But again, that's kind of a, a weak definition too. It's kind of like saying that God is not the devil. It's like, do we have nothing better than that? It also conveys the idea that God is allergic to sin. 
that we should be allergic to this world, which isn't true. It's not true at all. The, the problem with that is it teaches us actually to be unfriendly towards sinners. When we link holiness to being separate from the world, we forget that Jesus was undefiled yet friend of sinners. But many of us, we don't even want to hang out with people who aren't of the church or who are sinners because we might catch something. Like, that would be terrible. Like, you know, we don't want to get mixed in whatever they're doing and, and then not become holy or whatever. You know, it's, it's a poor way of, of looking at holiness. And others, pe other people say that holiness is God-fearing godliness. That's the strangest one. So now we're saying God is godly, you know, that he reveres himself and is self-fearing, like my mind like gets caught up. I don't get it. But you see, the problem is that we don't, we don't even know what holiness means. So if we don't know what holiness means, then how are we to even respond to all the scriptures that call us to be holy? And here's what holiness means. Holiness means wholeness. Holiness means wholeness. Paul Ellis describes it this way, and he says, to say God is holy is to refer to the wholeness, fullness, beauty, and abundant life that overflows within the Godhead. God lacks nothing. He is unbroken, undamaged, unfallen, completely complete, and entirely within himself. He is the indivisible one, holy, self-sufficient, and the picture of perfection. To worship God in the beauty of his holiness is to be awestruck by the infinite sweep and scale of his limitless loveliness. Holiness is not one aspect of God's character. It's the whole package in glorious unity. It's the adjective that precedes all other attributes. Hence, the love of God is a holy love, the whole and unrestrained love of the Trinity overspilling into the hearts of humanity. His righteousness is a holy righteousness. It's the habit of right action that overflows naturally from the one who is in such harmony with himself that he is incapable of acting any other way. His joy is a holy joy. It is the pure unshadowed delight that accompanies every expression of his love and goodness. Holy cow, I wish I could write like that. That's what holiness is. It's, it's total, complete wholeness. But holiness is hard for us to comprehend because we have brokenness. We're not used to understanding wholeness in the light of where we look at ourselves. We're also not familiar with it because God is fullness and we oftentimes feel empty. But the second truth tonight, and the most important one, is, is, this, is that in Christ, you have been made holy. Every one of you, in Christ, you have been made holy. Hebrews 10, 8 says this. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. Everybody say once. once. You have been made holy and you didn't even know it. It's like you have been working out your entire life and you had no idea that you have the perfect body mass index, you know? You, you, you're like, we're discovering right now, like, we should get the trumpets and we should like take out Facebook ads and say, everybody's holy that is in Christ. It should be the greatest announcement. This was so revolutionary. This is why we, we understand why the disciples acted so differently is that Christ came and says, I've made you holy. And before then, all they knew was holiness through effort, through striving, through willpower. And you know how the scriptures use it? It says you have been made holy, past tense. 
past tense. It's not something to be renewed. Remember, once for all. It's something that happened once for all. I thought I had something more profound there, but it was once for all. I think most Christians, when we get saved, we send in our application to be holy. Like, dear Jesus, make me holy. Here's all my list of things I don't like. And we send in the mail. It's kind of like applying for college. You ever, you know, send in an application to college and like you're, you're waiting for the response, you're checking the mail every day. And, but it's like almost that we got accepted into college, but we lost the acceptance letter in the mail. And so we've been living this entire time not knowing that we all got into Yale or Harvard or whatever. And Hebrews author, he affirms this radical truth several times in Hebrews 10, 14. It says, by one, everybody say one, one offering he has perfected for all time. Say, everyone say all time. Those who are sanctified. An astonishing thing has happened. Can you believe it? That through an act of God's will and by the sacrifice of his body, one time you've been made sanctified and holy for all time. Yeah, he's... Oh, that's not someone clapping. That's someone running. <laughs> someone can clap if they want. That's great. <laughs> you got to love that. Like in my position, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Someone's clapping and then this girl's running by. <laughs> but the purpose of Jesus' ministry is that he would be numbered among the transgressors so that we would be numbered among the holy. That's why the gospel's so radical. And it gives us understanding into that scary verse. Remember the fine print of the contract that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14, if anybody wants. It's scary, but, and it's kind of like me telling Scarlett, like, Scarlett, you won't see daddy unless you eat broccoli. I mean, I'd be thrown in jail if I said that. And yet we accept scriptures like that. We accept it to be totally construed. Like, no one would hear me say that and say, I'm not going to come home, Scarlet, tonight until you eat your broccoli. Sorry, you didn't eat it? Well, daddy's not coming home. What are, like, have we ever thought about some of these ways that we've internalized scripture and thought, like, whoa, that's, like, I need to seek into that. That doesn't sound like a loving father. And the Hebrews author is not making a threat. He's actually given us a fact. It's not a threat. It's a fact. It's kind of like saying, without a nose, no one will smell bacon. That's basically how it equates. Without a nose, no one smells bacon. I love bacon if you don't know that. And when you become saved, as the scripture tells us, you become connected with God. You become his righteousness. You became, past tense, holy. And those who are holy see God. You are holy, period. I could just walk off now and we can just be done. That's, that's the biggest revelation. But people say, well, I can't see God. Well, that's impossible. It's impossible to say I can't see God because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And you've been made holy because you are in Christ. Therefore, you are particularly equipped to see God, actually. It's people who long to be in your shoes, who aren't saved, who don't know the Father, who don't have Jesus. They're the ones who can't see the Father like you can. But you have been given eyes through your holiness. Which is, moves us to number three is that holiness is not a feeling, it's an event. Originally had it, it was an event, it's not exactly right grammar, but because the cross was 2,000 years ago. You're made holy in Christ 2,000 years ago by one sacrifice, by one body. When you accepted Jesus, that became your holiness right there. That event was one time. There's not gonna be another cross in case you're curious. Jesus is not gonna be like, whoa, I didn't account for this kind of payment. He's like, he's done, he's not coming back. And so we can hold on to that knowing that that was once for all. 
But you know what's one thing that really was amazing to me is that on the day of my wedding, two things ran through my mind. Wow, that wedding went fast. And two, I don't feel any different. I walked up, I walked back. Kind of more or less the same, you know? But I wasn't. Just like you are either unholy or holy, you're either unmarried or married. So it, it doesn't really matter how you feel. Mike and Ashley, they're getting married this weekend. And the moment they say I do in rings exchange, they become a holy union. They become married. It doesn't matter what they feel. That's what they are. They walk back down that aisle and it's like, you're married. You can't undo that. There's no control Z on this one. You are married. <laughs> but one thing appears to me in my heart is that we need to stop living from the basis of our feelings and align our thinking with God's word. We need to go to like language school if we need. <laughs> you know, like we need to, if, if we are using words like sorry, sinner, in need of sanctification, I mean, it, it, we, we begin to believe these lies that fight for our heart when actuality that you're a holy saint in the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the holy eternal God living in a dump? No, but he lives in you and you're not a dump. So therefore you must be holy. Because God's presence is in you. He dwells in that you are his temple. But so many Christians let their feelings determine their theology and letting their theology inform their feelings. I felt crappy last night. I was like, man, I feel terrible. And then I was like, I need to like, the spirit is where freedom is where joy is. Like, if I have a problem with my feelings, it's my feelings fault. And so I just said, feelings? Like, I just declare that you're joyous. So my theology, the spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It says rejoice always, so therefore I have it. So I just, I speak those feelings that just are, are feeling a little crabby right now. And I just receive peace and I receive joy. And it's amazing. But I could have been like, oh, I feel weird. God, what are you telling me? Are we in trouble? Like, you know, what did I do? Is there, did I run over someone's cat and not know? Like, God, what is this? You know, I don't know. But we were designed for truth. We weren't designed to feel we have feelings as a product of our body and our soul, but we were designed for truth and we need to live by the truth and let our truth inform our theology. But many of us have it the other way around. We let emotions and the feelings create our truth. It's my favorite thing to talk about when people have anxiety and fear and depression, all those things. It's like, tell me about the truth that you're believing that's informing your feelings. Number four, the law does not preserve or increase holiness. The law does not preserve or increase holiness. Everyone should say bummer right there, right? <laughs> I meet people all the time who are working out their sanctification. They're working on their holiness. They're working on their walk. I mean, you know, that's kind of a funny term, things that Christians say. But trying to act like a Christian by the law doesn't make any sense. When we think about how we have kind of journeyed into faith, sometimes we think that, well, grace was free but holiness is expensive. I've heard that. And it's like, yeah, that sounds biblical. Where is that, you know? But we, like, we, we, we buy it like, yeah, grace is free, but holiness is going to take a lot of work. And what I've learned is that the law in trying to follow the law and look at this and the do's and don'ts and Jesus, what do I do this? And especially in dating relationships when it comes to like boundaries and purity. Well, what can I do? What can't I do? Like, can I have a picture? Like, you know, all those different things. Like our mindset of Christianity with how we obey the law, we want to get down to like the black and white, the contract. And we want to try and get on that, but it's just a hamster wheel. 
It's the hamster wheel of righteousness where we run faster, we don't go anywhere. Hebrews again says this in chapter 7, verse 18. For on one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment of, because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law, listen here, made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Did you catch that? The law is weak and useless. The law made nothing perfect. Let me bring back a verse we went over before. Now it'll make a lot more sense. Again, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected all time those who are sanctified. The law is useless and weak, has never perfected anything. By one offering, you are made perfected for all time. It's right there. The law is not a saint's guide to holy living. It's a signpost to Jesus. The more we see the law, we say more Jesus. Think of it this way. Since you did nothing to make you holy in the first place, nothing you do can make you unholy. If you're holy just because of one sacrifice, one offering for all time, perfected you for all time, and you had nothing to do with that, you had no part in that, you didn't like help Jesus, you know, on the cross, and like you didn't have any contribution to that, there actually is nothing you can do if you're in Christ to make you unholy. Someone need to say amen right there. I'm going to say it one more time. Not used to like a dynamic. <laughs> Any more questions? No. Let me say it one more time. In fact, if, if, if you've zoned out, let me bring you back in and then we can zone back out. <laughs> Since you did nothing to make you holy, there is nothing you can do to make you unholy. When we fully understand holiness, can we be... Unclean, definitely. Galatians says, wash the wash on the word. For, for there's things that we run in life that we need to be cleansed, totally. Holiness is not one of those things. You've been perfected for all time. You didn't deserve anything to make you, you didn't do anything to make you holy, and so therefore you can't do anything to make you unholy. You're not an unholy piece of rubbish, as the Brits would say. Number five, this is final. Holy identity produces holy living. What I'm talking about tonight is about identity. The separate conversation you're like, but, 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 is about holy living. Holy identity, holy living, they're two different things, but they're in conjunction. Holy identity produces holy living. Holy living is normal for holy people. You all are holy people. It's what holy people do. How silly would it be if, if you have like a baby lion and you, you enroll the baby lion into like lion school and learn about how to be a lion, you know? It would seem completely absurd. It's in the lion's DNA to want to like eat meat, to swipe at things, to do all the other things it does. It doesn't need to be taught it. It's part of its natural existence. It's part of its DNA and Christians don't need to go to sanctification classes in five steps to this class to be better at this. I mean... Actually, when we understand that our holiness is part of our identity in Christ, it actually is going to change everything for us. The next time you read the New Testament, you should look at how the writers will almost always establish identity before they give instruction and correction. You know, like the Corinthians, right? I mean, they were like the sinners on steroids, right? You're like, whoa, they did that? You know, like, you know, we're sometimes like, well, at least I'm not the Corinthians, you know? 
Sometimes we'll make ourselves feel better. It's like, well, I did that, but I didn't do that. Let's, you know. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Listen how Paul opens this. It says, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ, saints by calling. He knew full well what's going to come in chapter 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, all those. He knew what was coming, but he chose to address them by their identity first. Similarly, in Thessalonians 5, 5, and 6, says, you are all sons of light. And so then he goes and says, whack like it, darn it. Peter, be holy in all you do before reminding us that we are a holy priesthood and a holy nation. We don't act holy to become holy. We act holy because we are holy. Let me read that again. We don't act holy to become holy. We act holy because we are holy. The second thing, if you've zoned back out, and then bring it back in so you can go back again. Behavior flows from identity. Behavior flows from identity. Part of the renewing of your mind is to reverse the wires because the world tells us what we do is who we are. The world says what you do, what you make of life, the decisions you make, who you marry, the job you have, the salary, the car, whatever, that's who you are and actually it's the exact opposite. When it talks about the renewing of our mind, it actually there's so many things that Jesus says inverts. You know, the last shall be first and the first shall be last and who is the greatest becomes the least. You know, this is one of those things. It's that what we do actually doesn't make us who we are. What we are. Who we are is what determines what we do and how we have the freedom to act and respond. The Bible demonstrates this all the time that our identity is what determines how we live. And how you live will never contribute to your God-given identity. You'll merely develop a performance-based identity. And when your performance slips, your identity goes crashing. If you built your entire identity around you performing well, I promise you there's going to be a time where you don't perform so well. And you're going to have an identity crisis then. You're going to be like, wow, I did that. I can't believe that. I mean, it happens all the time where we, we encounter people and, and they're just as dumbfounded as, as we are. Like, what were you thinking? You know, like, I don't know. And, and so we, we just look at it and say, if your identity is, is, is wrapped up in being good and then you slip, then you've ruined your relationship with Christ because you've put all of your relationship with God upon you performing. And it actually has nothing to do with that. And you can tell in two seconds if someone has a performance-based identity by asking them where they stand with God based on what they did. You tell, ever talk to someone like, Oh, I'm feeling really distant from God because of yesterday. You know, typically it's like the day after. You know, a, a day after a struggle or a fall, suddenly they feel distant from God. It's amazing. It happens all the time. There is no standing with God. There's one standing, reconciled, united. Do you know it's like on Facebook, if you go and like you go to your relationship status, there's 11 options. <laughs> 11 options. It's amazing. There is no relationship status with you and Jesus. It's reconciled, united all the time. There is no distance. There's no, it's complicated. It's no, I have a lot of questions still. I mean, it is the relationship status with Jesus is that you are reconciled. You are united. You can't separate yourself from him, even if you tried. He is just as close to you, if not even closer in the times you're in the greatest sin. And immediately after, he's even holding on even tighter. Maybe the blood just isn't reaching your brain because he's holding so tight. And you think he's a far away. I don't know. 
But the point is, is that if what you did yesterday determines how you feel about God today, then you have your identity in your performance. When people slip up, we always say, get back up. Get back up, brush it off. And the trap with having a performance identity is it makes your entire relationship with God all based upon how you're doing with sin. That's, you'll put all the chips there. It won't be about hearing from God. It won't be about communing with him. It won't be about worship. It won't be about anything that really God matters. It's going to all be about how your performance is doing. And if you set yourself up that way to have your relationship with God be just about your avoiding sin, then you are actually setting yourself up for another sin. There's other people like, I haven't ever had a drink of alcohol. I have never done this. The opposite is actually pride and self-righteousness is not. That's a sin. It's like, congratulations, you did a good job of not doing that sin, but you inherited this one on the way, you know? I mean, you're, you're, you're set up to lose if, if that's what you're trying to go at. And avoiding sin is about trying to use as much willpower as you can, but when you learn to look to Jesus for all of your needs, when you learn to look to Jesus for all of your needs, you will find yourself avoiding sin effortlessly. You don't need to post, you know, a, a t-shirt in reverse so every time you look in the mirror it says, don't sin, you know, like you, you just, you don't need to be reminded about it. God's saying, man, my burden's light. You've been made holy, so act like it. You have the band come up now. But here, here's the trap. And I'm, I'm not trying to knock people who give practical living advice. I'm the first guy who will give you practical steps to getting married. Holy cow, I love helping people get in relationships. And I'll give like, here's steps one, two, three, and four. You know, I love that stuff. And I love even with any areas of, of scripture or anywhere of like practical living. I love steps. Don't get me wrong. I love that stuff. I'm not trying to, you know, pick on people who try and help people live lives better. But when we tell people, follow the commands and strive to be holy, it teaches, some, it teaches people something very dangerous. When we tell people, follow the commands and strive to be holy, it teaches people to trust in themselves rather than in God who already made them holy. Your good attempt to help people actually is teaching them to rely on themselves. When it should be, Jesus has already completed it. You are holy. You, have, you can stop striving because there's the 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says you will not have a master. I don't care what is mastering over you. You know, it can be an addiction. It could be anything, but Jesus says nothing will be my master. We've, we've, we're dead to sin. We, that, that is gone. And so we can stand firmly in saying, Jesus, you provided all the victory. I just need to get my mind in alignment. I just need to get my, myself in the position where I stop striving. And I think that sometimes in the moments where we finally say, God, I'm done trying, he says, finally. I can't tell you how many things I've tried to like kick and like, you know, fix in my life. And when I finally said, well, screw this, you know, I finally got the victory from it. I was like, really? That, that's all? But I think God is, for those who he loves, and he loves all of us, I think he is, is so loving that he doesn't want us to get in the role of who is sanctifying who. That our efforts, our striving, our trying is, is gonna become futile, not because of willpower, it's because it's in the wrong position. We're in the wrong seat. 
It's like we're trying to break into the cockpit of the you know, airplane to land the airplane. Like we're, we're afraid that no one's going to, just because you can't see the pilot doesn't mean that the, the plane isn't going to land. Terrible analogy this week, sorry. But <laughs> once I went in there, I was like, darn it. But you know what I mean. <laughs> but learning to live holy is merely like learning to function how God intended you to. I used this analogy a couple weeks ago that a toddler, like our little girl Scarlett, she has everything that she needs to learn to walk. She was given feet, legs, knees, joints, head, hips, balance, all that stuff. And it just took her long enough to be able to work it all together. She had all the assets there. Everything was already in place. And a 10-year-old who still crawls on his hands and knees is not functioning as he was designed to function. And so it is with our practical holy living. If like, just because we don't feel holy and just because we made a mistake that doesn't actually mean that tells us who we are. It just says we're not acting as we were designed to act. It's like a lion trying to walk on two legs. It just doesn't belong. And so the news that we are holy almost is never preached. I can't think of a single time I've ever heard someone walk through the scriptures this way, ever. And the result is that many Christians still struggle with their sin despite their efforts to avoid it. They're like patients who are in the hospital and refuse to leave the hospital because they think that they're still sick and broken. They go to the hospital, we all go to the hospital, right, of, of, of our lives, needing Jesus to save us, and, and we now have been made whole through holiness, that's what it means, we're being made whole, and we're refusing to leave the hospital because we don't think the doctor's finished. And Jesus said on the cross, what? It's finished. 